Hello, and welcome to Quadrivia, the podcast that takes you a step beyond trivia and into the minds of the people who craft it. I'm Jeff with RMT Trivia in Chicago. I'm Jay with Smarty Pints Trivia in Regina, Saskatchewan, and that's in Canada. <laughs> I'm James Key, the trivia nerd from Louisville, Kentucky. And I am Corey Marcoux with Third Degree Entertainment over in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. Uh, and welcome to the episode, everybody. Jay, hey. you, this is your first time on a, on a recording with us, isn't it? Yes, sir. Yes, it is. And I think you might be our most exotic guest ever. <laughs> I mean, we've, <laughs> we've had them, them Scotland people and them England people <laughs> and even some Florida people, but I don't think we've ever had a, a true blue Canadian Oh boy, yeah. Born and raised up here. It snowed today. Yeah. We... Oh yeah. <laughs> it's cold up here. Now, um, would you say it's about 10, 12 degrees out? Or... Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> we, we'd have to talk Celsius. Uh, those Fahrenheit numbers mean nothing to me here. Well, I was trying to talk Celsius. <laughs> how, how, what temperature is 10 Celsius? That conversion oh, has always been be... rough for me, but I thought that was... That'd be balmy. No, it's... Uh, yeah, it's like 50 <laughs> degrees Fahrenheit. Let's say today wasn't too bad. Today was, oh, yeah, uh, was you know, around zero. Went down to minus five. My neighbor was no joke. Uh, he was shoveling his driveway in his shorts this afternoon. <laughs> All right. So, like I said, it, it's balmy. We're waiting for that minus 40 to hit. That'll happen uh, in January. And that's the same in Fahrenheit and Celsius, to keep it easy for you guys. <laughs> oh, thank Lord. you so much. Uh, I, I would love for us to, to switch to a universal temperature scale and fucking measurement like let's let's go metric please but until See, then i am so shit at it yeah and it's like the <laughs> my easiest only... thing to figure out but fucking. my only concern is i like i'm okay with metric for distances and stuff all of that makes sense but for temperature fahrenheit is just the superior model zero is cold 100 is really hot like those are easy to remember numbers like I, it just makes more sense to me. If you talk about temperature for humans on a human scale, it makes sense. Like I, I understand like, in a scientific, you know, if you want to use different stuff for science, that's fine. But when you give the temperature outside and they're like, oh, it's 30 degrees, it's a scorcher. Like, get get out of here. What are you talking about? Well, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I see what you're saying, um, but I disagree with it. <laughs> I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Fahrenheit because it's the only thing I'm good at. Uh, <laughs> but I, I do think that as with, you know, uh, in the metric system, you know, it's so nice having those round numbers. Everything is tens and hundreds and thousands. And in Celsius, having water freeze at zero and boil at 100, like that's, that's really nice. But then I'm just saying it's, say it, it that, makes a little more sense to the to the natural world as opposed to just hey you know what I want to set my thermostat to. But yeah. to, well, that's to, what I'm saying. To if Jeff's you, if you benefit. said to me that humans froze at zero and boiled at 100 <laughs> on Celsius, then I would then I would care to know the temperature for me in Celsius. <laughs> that's fair. Well, I mean, what are we like 80 percent water? So technically, you do boil at 100 degrees Celsius. Uh, yeah, probably would. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, I mean, I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> But I mean, also to to agree with you, Jeff, it is weird that water freezes at zero. Okay. Water boils at 100. Okay. So 10 seems like it's way closer to freezing than to boiling. And yet 10 is 50 degrees, which is, you know, shorts and a jacket. 
So yeah. that it it does skew uh, in that portion in the the comfortable human portion. I think is where Celsius is weakest. Uh, <laughs> And that's what we're here to talk about today is Celsius. This is an entire episode about <laughs> Celsius and how it relates to trivia. Boy, do we did, have our jobs you know, cut out for us here. Did you know that Celsius was once called centigrade? Ah, because the centa means 100 and grade means divisions of measurement. So we got, we've got so much to cover. This is going to be an exciting episode for everybody. We're actually, actually going to talk about things that happen at each uh, temper, each degree. Like, did well, you know that there's... at one degree Celsius? <laughs> maybe know. if there's time at the end, we can get into uh, metric time as well. <laughs> oh, perfect! Oh my god! <laughs> okay, can we actually? Is crazy. Can we hijack this entire recording and be like, you know what? Let's just talk weird shit because I really think <laughs> we need to move to base twelve. I think base ten is. Uh, outdated it is not the most efficient we've got if you look at our fingers and our knuckles we can count so much higher in base 12 we can multiply and divide easier into the like let's let's fucking do everything right let's just erase all measurement and start over well if we went into base 12 then the metric system would be tossed out of the window nothing well, that's why i said anymore. we'd erase everything like Oh, uh, I, yeah, in, I, I missed the erase 10, everything part. Yeah, in base ten, yeah, metric works. But let's just reboot the whole number system. What a great idea! <laughs> Thank you Good for Lord, agreeing man. with me. Okay, uh, does anyone want to know what we're actually supposed to talk about today? I'm curious. Uh, we're supposed to talk about puzzle style questions. Oh, I like puzzles. Yeah. yeah, like trying to figure out the temperature in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that, that probably would be a puzzle for some people. You could literally, you know, have 10 questions and just say, hey, it's blank Fahrenheit outside. What's the temperature in Canada? And you'd get like 10 antisocials from the entire audience. So if it's water boiling in America, what temperature is it in Canada? Oh, I have absolutely used these questions at live events. <laughs> this is the thing. We, I'm not the only one that doesn't know Fahrenheit up here. Fair enough. Uh, well, keeping pe keeping our puzzle topic in uh, in mind, I do want to know a little bit more about you, Jay. Um, you are, as many of us are, a member of the Trivia Writers Co-op, uh -huh. uh, which I'm trying to name drop as often as possible so people will actually come check us out and join our Discord and say hi to us. But uh, other than that, I don't know a whole lot about you. So uh, tell me and us about you and why uh, you're a good fit for this topic as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know. I've seen you guys' names around in the co-op quite a bit, but I don't know if I've really chatted too much with the mo uh, with most of you guys. Um, yeah, I'm Jay. I've been doing trivia up here in Canada for, I think, about five years. Um, you know, started doing trivia at a bar, I think, just like everybody. And then when COVID hit, kind of transferred to online. Um, but, uh, my big thing, I guess, is that I, I write software for a living. I'm a web developer. So when I started doing trivia at this bar, I took a step back and said, you know, like, why am I going to put all this time into making a PowerPoint presentation every week when we could just, you know, put a little software together to do something that way. So then kind of over the last five years, it's kind of turned into, you know, a big website and I'm trying to you know, plug that and push that down people's throats as much as I can. <laughs> Try, um, trying to plug what? 
<laughs> yeah. Um, no, that that was a really know, good opportunity for you to say it. I mean, you're welcome <laughs> oh. to, to put it out there if you'd like. Well, I, I looked at the show notes. I know that there's a plug section at the end. I was just being polite. You know, that's what uh, my but Canadian blood is telling are... me to do here. <laughs> no, all right, all right, all right. Enough of that. I... I live in in Washington, all right? I'm like an hour's drive away from Canada. I know there's plenty of you asshole Canadians out there too. Uh, so we no. we can we can cut this all Canadians are polite trope right out. All right. Well, if if that then I'll then I'll come clean. I'm kind of a piece of shit. Um smartypints.ca, you should go there. Private events, yada yada yada. Um But no, I've been having a lot of fun in the trivia co-op. Um when you guys were a uh, a subreddit a while ago, I was in there, and uh, then kind of my co-host got weird about it. He's like, "Oh, why are you sharing questions with these strangers on the internet? What are you doing?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, I don't know. They're sharing questions with me. It's kind of you know, it works both ways." He's like, "No, we got to get out of there." So I left, and then uh, started to get to know um, you know Jason from Liquid Courage a little bit, and then uh, he invited me to this thing, and no, it's it's been great. Just tossing questions around with you guys. Yeah. And the biggest thing is that now when I have a half-baked idea for a trivia round, I chat with you guys instead of talking to my wife about it, who like just despises (laughs) trivia because it's all I talk about. (laughs) So she loves it too. Good. And and just to to clarify, that's that's smartypints.ca. Yes. Because .com was just a little too exotic for you. Well, somebody owns it. Someone's squatting Do on they it. Really? Oh shit! Forgive the clickety clacking yeah. here. Yeah, like I, uh, I don't know who it is. Whenever I go there, it says, uh, oh, you know, that's... this website is not ready yet or something, and it's it's not been ready for like five years. What are you doing, man? Unacceptable. So I'm thinking about SmartyPintsTrivia.com, but that's that's a mouthful. Yeah, coming from ThirdDegreeEntertainment.com, I can see how. <laughs> difficult that would be (laughs) all right well uh now tell us about puzzles (laughs) puzzles are good puzzles are great um i'm actually waiting for a jigsaw puzzle to come in the mail that i'm pretty excited about that's interesting right that's that's what the listeners want to hear about yeah absolutely i uh my jigsaw puzzle rounds are always a a huge hit oh man Okay, I, c- I could really tell you about some puzzle questions I've done in the past. Um, I actually opened up a bunch of bunch of tabs here just to kind of give an idea of uh, you know what I what I th- have used as puzzle questions and kind of what I think is fun. Um, so basically, when I'm writing trivia, I've got a list of I don't know 10, 15 categories, and then a lot of t- a lot of times the puzzle category just kind of becomes a dumping ground for questions that you know don't really fit anywhere else so i've got some that are uh you know real goofy like a while ago i did a round where this was the one round where people were allowed to use their phones and uh, you know one puzzle question i have here for them is uh you know what is song number four and then i give them the phone number 719-266-2837 does anyone know what that phone number is no any clue can you it's not it's not dial a song, is it? From They Might Be Giants. No, this is the Hall & Oates emergency phone line. <laughs> <laughs> so you can call this phone line and you can get, uh, and I'm unaffiliated with the Hall & Oates emergency phone line, I should oh, say. Are you? Okay. But you can call <laughs> this know, phone line know. anytime, you know, when you need your Hall & Oates fix. So 
you know, had players go through, and this is something they had to do kind of outside of the realm of, of regular trivia. So song number four, for those curious, is Private Eyes. Oh, yeah. Um, also in the kind of puzzle space, sometimes I'll squeeze in math questions there. You know, I've got some, uh, I've got a pretty difficult limit question here. Um, and then another one I gave them in the ungoogleable round was uh, a picture of an electronic circuit where they had to go through and figure out what it does. Um, oh, that's interesting. So, so the kind of thing where you can't just plug it into Google when you've got a picture. Uh, yeah. Also, tr translating Yiddish, <laughs> just kind of <laughs> not the easiest thing to do for most, I think. Um, but I've also done things, you know, like um, those Facebook quizzes, you know, those, I, and I think those are real crowd pleasers when you have those stupid pictures of, uh, you know, which bucket fills up fast and you have, or fastest, and you have the running water at the top of the picture. Yeah. Um, or those order of operation math questions that uh, just drive people nuts <laughs> on Facebook. Um, but those end up in my puzzle category on occasion too. You, everything that you've said is such a great uh, kind of intro or transition into our real first topic. But then you said the one thing that set me off. So. Uh-oh. I'm sorry. Uh-oh. But the worst fucking puzzles or whatever <laughs> especially on facebook like they drive me fucking insane every single time you'll see something like cheeseburger plus two french fries <laughs> equals 10 cheeseburger times one french fry equals 12 what does four french fries and a hamburger without cheese equal Ugh. and it, uh, that was actually a terrible example because like they'll give you enough information that, that you feel like you can figure it out. But what people always ignore is that French fries aren't a number. They are a variable. <laughs> and my, my favorite example is that if V equals two, it doesn't mean that W equals four just because a V looks or a W looks like two V's. You can't double V and say, oh, that's the answer. So on 99% of those questions, the answer should be there's not enough information to solve this puzzle. I don't Would give a shit that two French fries equals six. One French fry does not equal three. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking end I, of story. You can't convince me otherwise, and you're trying really hard to. I hear as soon that. As, as soon as he mentioned <laughs> that, I had Vietnam flashbacks to your <laughs> Facebook post where, where you just... Oh, yeah unloaded oh. on that <laughs> oh, i have ranted about the, the <laughs> dumbest thing set me off and that is one of them it's but, like uh oh the little oh. the little fairy princess doesn't have a hat on in this one so she's worth 10 less it just oh no. my god <laughs> yeah the answer is always there's not enough information and there's a reason why that was usually you know one like if you were doing a multiple choice math test that was often a choice it was rarely utilized, oh. but now it needs to be seen more often. <laughs> See, what I've found with those, um, and what I didn't realize until I put one of these into a round of trivia, and yes, I'll admit I've actually, I've done those um, very sparingly, mind you. Um, but the one that I have on file here, um, it actually has two correct answers, depending on how you look at it. Um, I guess I don't have to find the exact picture here, but... Um, and then you realize that the purpose of these stupid questions is to just piss people off on Facebook so they start talking. <laughs> oh, they work. Um, 
And then, you know, you get all this discussion going, all these comments, and then whoever posted that gets to, gets to feel like a genius for getting all this engagement on Facebook. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've slipped a couple of those in and then also those, uh, those water fill questions, which are a little less ridiculous. Um, but they seem to be crowd pleasers if you throw one in from time to time. Yeah. I, when, when the topic of puzzle questions kind of came up, um, I started thinking to myself like, oh, this is interesting. I don't know if I do anything like that. But then uh, I started thinking about some of my uh, halftime rounds or in my online space, my rounds two and four are kind of mechanics rounds. And some of the ones that I've done where I try to make the players think outside of their normal rote memorization of trivia facts. Uh, where it's not just logically saying, okay, I don't think it can be this because that person won this award and not this, not that. But I'm talking about using their brains in a specific way that they weren't normally using them for trivia. Like, and the, the, I think my most recent example of that is one where I did a round where I had no repeating letters and I gave the total score that the answer would get in Scrabble points. So you had to answer the question, but there might have been multiple things that fit. So you had to find one where there were no repeating letters and it had to have that score. And so that kind of gave a secondary clue that made their brains go someplace else for a second. I think that that, especially in conjunction with all the stuff that, that Jay has said, really does kind of uh, naturally bring us into probably the, the first and most important thing for us to talk about uh regarding puzzle style questions what is a puzzle uh, at least in this context what is a puzzle how do you define it um what makes you know a common bond around what what differentiates a common bond or a mystery theme from puzzle questions well i would say that puzzles for the most part is something that's just not naturally a Q and A. Uh, sure, a puzzle is going to have one definitive answer. Uh, actually, uh, you did mention even that uh, you could have a something with two possible answers. There's nothing wrong with that, but you're not just asking to throw back to the previous episode. What's the capital of Somalia? Uh, you're giving something that is a little bit more of a uh, maybe a lateral thinking type of a question that you're not just going to have to know a factoid. Even if the final answer happens to be a factoid of some kind, you have to take a different route to get there. So it doesn't matter if you're talking about, you know, a word puzzle, a number puzzle, a picture puzzle, and we're going to get into all sorts of examples, I'm sure. But that's, in my view, what you would consider a puzzle type question, even if you don't want to call it a question. I think that's definitely fair. Uh, and I think that that lines up pretty well. You know, if you go to Google and you type define puzzle, um, uh, the verb used to puzzle someone is to, to cause someone to feel confused because they cannot understand or make sense. Uh, the noun would be a game toy or problem designed to test ingenuity or knowledge. And I think it's that ingenuity that really comes into play here because most of trivia is about testing knowledge. Uh, so if you're going to go a step farther and say that we're talking puzzles, then I think it really does need to bring out the ingenuity, uh, the confusion, 
kind of thinking about it a little bit harder and a little bit deeper. Also, if you think about these, uh, you go to a, a magazine or something that's full of puzzles, you know, you're going to see all sorts of things in there. Let's boil it down to what most people see uh, most commonly, a crossword puzzle. You might not be expected to know every answer to every clue on there, but the idea is that by filling in the things that you do know, you're starting to get more clues on what's coming up for some of the down answers and the across answers that you haven't hit yet, so you can start to figure things out. I know that not all puzzle rounds are going to be uh, where you build upon previous answers. I would say a common bond round is a, a good example of where they do build, but uh, that would be something that you're going to see where uh, knowing some things might help you to figure out others throughout the round. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say too. When I think of puzzles, I of course think of like jigsaw puzzles, like you get the box, you dump it out, and you have to figure out how the pieces fit together. And so when I was thinking of puzzle rounds themselves, those are the ones where I incorporate, you have to get the answer from assembling a puzzle. It's not just, here's a question, give me your answer. Here's a question, and then here's some situation that makes you fit something in differently or take a different approach or, or make sure that things fit together uh, properly with the extra clues or the theme or anything like that. Those are That's the ones that I consider puzzle questions or puzzle rounds because, like I said before, people are approaching it in a different fashion rather than just regular memorization of trivia facts. Like you have to use the clues, you have to use the prompts, whatever the host has given you to accurately get to the answer that they want from you. So it's not just uh, it's not just you can't study for it. You, you have to work for it like you would yeah. putting together a jigsaw puzzle. I think that that. Uh, it actually gets kind of to the biggest problem. And I, and I don't mean that in a negative context here, uh, but the biggest problem that we're going to run into in this episode and probably why this uh, category will come up again in the future, but that there are just so many different ways we can look at or define puzzle style questions. Um, it's going to be going to be kind of crazy like a, yeah. it was mentioned earlier puzzle being not necessarily a Q&A style format but if the category if the topic is uh, Scrabble you know and you're setting it up so that the answer to number two starts with the last letter of number one you can just ask a straight up Q&A question but it's still a puzzle because you have to connect it to the previous answer uh, and make sure that all of your answers in turn work together. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> go ahead. I, I have, um, I kind of think of it as two different kinds of puzzle questions in that way, kind of based on what you're saying there. Like, it seems like there are some rounds that I do where the puzzle is kind of it's to, it's to assist you. So kind of like with the Scrabble thing, maybe you have a question that is totally unrelated to anything to do with Scrabble, but like you said, the answer tallies up to a certain number of points. So if you know nothing about Scrabble, you could just get it from the question. And maybe if you know nothing about the question, maybe you could just get it from your Scrabble knowledge. So I think I do lots of connection rounds, for instance, and uh, I think I'll do one for you guys later, in fact, but... Um, in the connection rounds, that's kind of the, the idea is that 
um, you might not know a lot about the, the common bond between these questions, but if you can figure it out, it's going to help you out. Whereas sometimes I have questions um, where I just strictly categorize it as a puzzle question. Like we were saying, the, um, you know, the water fill questions from Facebook or the, uh, you know, goofy math questions or something like that, where it's, it's really not, you're not getting any additional information to solve that. It's strictly your problem solving skills and kind of your critical thinking skills. And I, I hate to say critical thinking skills kind of in the same breath as viral Facebook puzzle, but <laughs> I, I do, I kind of think that there's those two kind of categories, if that makes sense. Yeah. But in, in general, we're talking about styles of questions that reward the cleverness of the players uh, or alternately or both, I guess, uh, make them think about a question in a way that they weren't really expecting. Yeah, um, I, I think that you're 100% on that. And maybe uh, a puzzle style question is less about the question itself and more about how we expect the player to interact with it yeah that and that i i think that that also ties into if it's a single question or an entire round the mechanics uh just how we try to i i mean on our end we're really trying to maybe give a little bit of hints but maybe also trying to throw wrenches at the players like here yeah try to figure this out we're being silly you know but it, it it's a good it's a good thing to kind of mix into a game just to give the players brains a break from standard question, answer, question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. You know, if you do that for two hours, you know, some people might be totally fine with that. But me as a player, too, I like when I get thrown something like a curveball that I'm not expecting. Like, oh, shit, I have to do math to get this. Damn it. But also, <laughs> hooray, you know. So I'd say I, I think that as long as we're kind of. uh We've narrowed it down to the fact that we want to encourage critical thinking or ingenuity or cleverness. Uh, and we can use that as we go forward to continue discussing puzzle type questions. But I do want to kind of clarify something really quick. Um, we are asking them to, them being the players, we're asking them to think about more than just the answer. So if you look at something like a family feud, uh, you know, a survey type question or sheep, uh, for those who are familiar with sheep, if not, check out uh, Jason, check out Liquid Courage on Twitch. He does a sheep game every week. It's awesome. It's a lot of fun. But in those, you're not only trying to think of an accurate or a correct answer, you're also trying to think of how others are going to answer it. Uh, you know, in Family Feud, you want a correct answer that a lot of people are going to say. In Sheep, you want a correct answer that you don't think a lot of people are going to say. Is that a puzzle? Is that a puzzle because you're not only answering the question, but you're thinking about others' responses to it? Well, I'll tell you, I have used survey questions in a couple of different venues, and I either will grab surveys from the Family Feud TV show or board games. Uh, the board games are you know a little bit aged, so I try to avoid those if I can. But I've also gone on to Reddit and have done surveys on there and have pulled information from who knows uh, around the world uh, of an audience 
I've used them at what you would consider maybe a serious pub trivia weekly show, and I've used them at more of a lighthearted annual fundraiser show. The people at the annual fundraiser show seem to be a little bit more receptive to it because not everybody there is necessarily going to be your trivia diehard. And having something that's very discussion-oriented and figuring out what you think the general population is going to say is going to be a lot more fun to talk about there. Then you go to the weekly show where people are a little bit more on uh, the, the hardcore trivia side. I mean, I had a team come up to me afterwards after I did a, a survey round and they said, this has no place in trivia. You shouldn't be asking these questions. Now, I think that they were just upset because they ended up having a lead that they lost <laughs> from this round. But I mean, I kind of see what they're talking about. And I actually only used it like one or two times, mostly as a litmus test. And while the, Litmus test team seemed to turn red on that one because they did not like that. At least I didn't hear too much positive from anyone else. Maybe there were teams that were around that, that did like it, but man, there was some pushback. Yeah. So I, I got to say, though, I love that because uh, I, I love the family feud, I should say, because you can get these answers that are maybe a little bit unexpected and you can ask really silly questions and think about what the average human being is going to say on that yeah i i would like the i would like that as a, like an equalizer round and we talked about that a few weeks back uh for teams that are super super strong with the academic aspects of trivia uh things like family feud rounds or pop culture uh stuff what a lot of people kind of gatekeep trivia refer to as like trash trivia like those kind of rounds like that's where that belongs in that type of of setting if you need something like that or like you said, for a far more casual game where you want the tables talking for longer amounts of time, like I, I still see, I still see a purpose for it too, but I don't know if I would go so far as to call them puzzles. Just, it's definitely a different way of thinking. Um, but I don't know if there's a way to get like a right, right answer from, from that style of question. Yeah. Oh, you're absolutely correct on that because there is no right answer. I mean, how many yeah. times have you been watching Family Feud on TV and you say an answer, a contestant says an answer, the host says, that's a great answer, and it's wrong. Nobody yeah. in the survey said it. You know, it's, it's a valid answer and maybe something that's very creative, but if nobody in that little survey of 100 people said it, then, you know, you're just shit out of luck. Too bad, so sad, love Brad. <laughs> well, with a quick, with a five-second explanation for those who uh, aren't familiar with Sheep. Uh, sheep is similar to Family Feud in that you ask a question. It'll be something like, name one of the uh, top ten states uh, by population. One of, the, one of the largest states by population. And every team needs to come up with an accurate answer. So there, in Sheep, there are correct answers. Uh, but you are rewarded for the uniqueness of your answer um you know it, it's easy to throw something like california out there because everybody knows that california is very populous however you also have to consider well other people are going to know that they might answer it so maybe i go with something else go with something a little more obscure uh so now we're kind of breaking away from the family feud where it's more opinion based uh and there are correct answers would sheep be a puzzle. I was uh, talking. 
Go ahead, Jeffy. Oh, I was going to say, um, I've run sheep as a halftime round in my real, in my real life game back when we used to just play it on the, on the co-op. Um, I started doing that because I was using them as halftime and I wanted to see how you guys did with the, the things that I picked. And, uh, while I do like the game, uh, the only downside that I do feel is that it's a very specific type of game because you're not just playing for smarts. You're playing with game theory. Like what is every other team going to pick? Okay. Here's the most obvious answer. Do we go with that? Because maybe people won't say it because they think it's the most obvious answer. And so there, there's a ton of, uh, actual trivial knowledge. Like you have to think of the 10 most populous States. And then from that list of the ones that you can think of, you have to argue with your team and say, no, 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 I guarantee somebody's going to pick New York. I don't know why they wouldn't, or somebody's going to pick California, you know, things like that. Um, and so the way that Jason does it is wonderful because it is an invent to itself. You don't have to worry about anything else. So if you want to play that game type, that, that style of question, that's what he has that night. And when I threw that in, in my halftime rounds, um, it was a decent equalizer because, uh, some people were able to pull ahead, uh, even though they were not from some of the stronger teams, but at the same time, there was a little bit of disconnect between how the players approach the regular part of the game and that part of the game separately. So, I think a good puzzle question has to be able to fit in or a good puzzle question or puzzle round should be able to fit into a regular game of trivia, competitive bar trivia without throwing the players too far for a loop. Um, that at least that's, that's my opinion. And I, and I, as much as I love sheep, uh, and the family feud style questions, I think those are really fun to do kind of as their own thing. And I wouldn't technically consider them to be puzzles, although sheep is closer to it than feud, I think. Okay. There's all of my opinions for the next 10 minutes. I'm not going to talk anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think you kind of hit on this, but um, yeah, with puzzles, I would kind of think of them as something a little bit different. And when I start to think about sheep and uh, family feud and some of these kind of things, I almost think they they require, I don't know if like social intelligence is, is nef necessarily the right way to go about it, but like they they really require you to just get into the headspace of of the other people playing so you know like the ex the example that was given um about california um you know there's these top 10 states that you can pick from and you really need to start to think about what other people are going to choose so it's it's more your understanding of what others might be thinking about as opposed to your own problem solving ability if that makes sense yeah, I wanted to just mention one other thing that might have been hit upon in our last podcast, actually, with a fellow named Tipster. Uh, he is over in the UK, and I like watching a lot of UK quiz shows. There's something over there called Pointless, where you're given a question that does have, indeed, a certain number of correct answers, and they give 100 people 100 seconds to name as many of them as they can, then the contestants on stage have to pick an answer that they think nobody said, because the more people that said it, the higher score you're, that you get, and you want to get a low score like in golf, and hopefully you can pick a pointless answer that nobody said. So uh, that was just one of the things that I wanted to uh, throw out there, that if you've never seen the show, go give it a watch. It is a lot like Sheep, and you can find a lot of episodes that are on uh, YouTube. So uh, and, and that's a good place to get some like question fodder as well for you trivia writers. You can get a lot of different uh, list-type questions from that show. 
And, uh, you know, that's uh, what kind of questions that you are picking for your show and, and how do you format them? Like, I don't know that I could do Pointless, for example, uh, at, a, at a show because I don't know that I'm going to be able to find 100 people and give them, you know, time them to see how many answers they can come up with. So what kind of puzzle questions are you using in your shows, folks? And how do you format them so that they work in whatever your trivia show format is uh, i mean are you using pen and paper are you doing it vocally are you putting things up on screen how are you doing those i'm gonna grab this first because i have a feeling that uh, my answer is not going to be unique and i'm not going to have a whole lot more to contribute to that <laughs> uh, i will say when i'm incorporating puzzle type questions i'm usually doing it in the picture round and it'll be uh, like the ones that, that Jay mentioned earlier, you know, which bucket fills faster, uh, which direction is this bus driving, things like that. That's usually going to wind up in the picture round for me. Uh, although I do also uh, for or textually, it'll if I'm doing a text based puzzle round, it's going to be more like connecting the. Uh, answers to each other via similar letters or whatever. I've done a picture kind of the same way, uh, making it basically a common bond, uh, showing pictures of various celebrities, things, and places, and uh, at least one part of their answer all come together to mean some central theme, and you get a little bonus uh, for doing that. Uh, so I've used a common bond in... A picture puzzle for everybody so that's one of the ways that I've done a, a formatting for a, a, a visual puzzle giving out a handout for everybody to look at so my common bond rounds or or what I call them as connection rounds they're always nine questions and then number 10 is what's the connection what do these have in common and those rounds will typically I, I aim for mostly text-based questions in those ones um, but quite often there's an image that gets in there or a video clip or something like that. Um, and then I've actually gone a step further once or twice before where I've had uh, two or three connection rounds in a night and then the connections themselves make a connection as well. Oh, and there's shit. kind of a question at the end of the night that says, what do those three connections um, have in common? That's kind of a fun idea. I think I have a book that does that, but I don't remember where it is or what it's called. So that's not super helpful. <laughs> But I, for for my puzzle rounds, um, I don't aim to add them to any game. They kind of occur organically when I'm looking for uh, different mechanics to use in my uh, kind of, I call them my middle rounds. Uh, I've mentioned before, rounds two and four. So one and five are standard general knowledge mixture of questions. Uh, round three is always the theme as chosen by one of my patrons. And then two and four are the ones where I get to do silly shit. And so sometimes I'll I'll come up with um, a dumb idea. Like actually the Scrabble one was just because we had recorded a podcast and we were talking about Scrabble a little bit. I'm like, oh, that'd be a fun idea. Or um, uh, uh, maybe three months ago, four months ago, I was doing uh, trivia co-op writer inspired uh, rounds uh, where uh, I would do something based on their name and use that as some kind of dumb mechanic. So not only did they have to answer the question, but it also had to kind of fit into a different thing. So when I do my puzzle rounds, they're 
they're not planned as such, uh, and more kind of, uh, occasionally a way for me to kind of stretch my legs and do something silly. So my format, my format changes constantly. Would you I'll... consider, uh, pictures and picture rounds to be puzzles in themselves? I mean, I've seen, for example, you know, what company's logo is this? Eh, I don't know that I would say that that's necessarily a puzzle, but in them as well, where a logo is put up and the letters of the brand name are missing, but you see the design, the colors and the shape that I would consider to be a puzzle. But, uh, what about just plain old, you know, name the logo? I, I think they kind of are, but I think it's a little bit more, uh, puzzle heavy when you take out the, the names. Yeah. I, for me, if it's just a straight picture, like if it's just an image unedited in any capacity, then it, it doesn't it, it does kind of modify a little bit on how the, how you want the players to be thinking. But it, it's not as far as like you said, like if you took like um, I think it's Avis, the car rental that has that really stylized a uh, I, I might be thinking of something else, but you know, something like that where you take everything out except for that little part or the color or something like that, that that's an extra step that adds, okay, we know it's this color. We know that they use this logo, you know, it looks like there's movement. So there might be like a car rental, you know, there's ways to, to make them think critically. So I, I agree with you. I think the regular picture rounds are just, you know, multimedia rounds. And if you take them a step further, and modify them in such a fashion that they do become puzzle rounds. I, I think I'd agree with that for sure. Yeah, I think I think I'd lean more towards what Jeff is saying, um, but slightly disagree with uh, otherwise with with like logos being a puzzle round. Um, like if you just took like the BBC News app logo and re- removed the letters, I don't think that that would be a puzzle. But if you took something like the Snapchat logo and changed the ghost somehow, uh, I, I, I don't fucking know. Uh, <laughs> <I've>, I could <laughs> see like, you know, like, some questions you just... where you've modified, like you're saying, modify the Snapchat ghost. Or I've done a round of you know celebrities that I put through a Snapchat filter, for instance, and it uh, it just kind of adds a layer of you know confusion to something that would normally be quite easy to figure out see i i still think that that would be more of just a a standard picture round i I guess more of what i was thinking is like if you take the amazon app logo and remove i don't know what it currently looks like but uh the one i'm thinking of has like a shopping cart and the word amazon if you take that if you remove the shopping cart and you instead put in like a picture of a river uh, you know, something like that, just to make uh, them have to do a different sort of connection. They see, oh, that's that's a river, the Amazon River, uh, or you take OK Cupid and just completely make up a new logo with like a Cupid giving a thumbs up. That kind of thing would be more of a puzzle because they have to think a little bit more critically as opposed to just recognizing parts of the logo or parts of a celebrity's face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, I mean, this could be semantics. As I said earlier, I think locking down what a puzzle is, is actually going to be fairly difficult here. 
Yeah, that's definitely for sure. I mean, most of the show is semantics anyway. (laughs) That's true. That's very true. (laughs) I mean, we could come up with all sorts of different picture rounds that we've done and say, it's a puzzle. It's not a puzzle. Yeah. Whatever the case might be. But, you know, that doesn't mean that we're only going to be talking about pictures. There's also uh, all sorts of text style uh, of puzzles that I'm sure that we've all done somewhere in there and I mean even talking about the Scrabble category that you did or the last letter of this answer is the first letter of that answer uh, I've done you know in anagrams for example but I don't just throw up the uh, you know like the scrambled up movie title I might give a clue of a sentence and put that uh, awkward anagram in there so that not only do you have to figure out what the scrambled letters say, but also the, the clue will uh, help to lead you along to that. Uh, so are there any other text kind of questions that you all do as well? Uh, yeah, actually, I, I have a few text style that I, I use, uh, but I do have one that's, that's kind of a, a mix of both text and visual uh, that I don't think we've actually brought up yet. And that would be, I guess, two different ones, both dingbats and rebuses. Uh, dingbats being like, if you've got a square, just a picture of a square and the word thinking above the square, where you're trying to get the person to answer thinking outside the box, uh, or a picture of a flower sack that has the words 25 cent refund on it and you're looking for quarterback sack. Uh, those are definitely puzzles. And there's also definitely a lot uh, in that style that could be done strictly textually as well. You know, away in a manger, you take the word manger and put the word way between the N and the G. Uh, have y'all utilized dingbats and and uh, one second am i dingbats are the picture-based ones and rebus puzzles are the word-based ones right so we just had a little bit of a cut here uh to discuss what we're actually talking about and it turns out that a rebus is a more general term for both what i was describing and also those puzzles where you'll see like an eyeball and then a plus symbol and then a heart and a plus symbol and the letter U, uh, where you're trying to get them to say, I love you. Those are apparently all rebuses. And then some people also call the first one I was describing dingbats. Um, so the terms are a little bit interchangeable and confusing, and there doesn't seem to really be like a strict definition on what's what. Uh, so we're just letting you know that now so it doesn't get too confusing for you. <laughs> and y'all go ahead and jump in on that. Um, dingus, I've used dingbats, rebuses before, dinguses, rebats, <laughs> all of it. Uh, yeah. Do you do you Mr. use those in just a visual form, or uh, do you put those in the text as well, like the ones that you can do strictly textually? Uh, both times that I've used, or I should say, with both types. Uh, I've used them as image rounds where I just yeah. put the image up on the screens. Um, I haven't done any of those in my Twitch streams just because um, I don't know if I've really gotten around to it or they just haven't been on my mind really. But when I would use them as halftime games, 
Um, I would put the images up on the screen for people to look at for a few minutes while everybody kind of went on break. So our halftime game was kind of in the break. So you could kind of sit around and talk about it with your friends, be like, I think it's that one. And then, you know, if somebody has to go pee, it's not that huge a deal. Um, And I thought that that worked pretty good just as a visual format. Like, here's a screen full of 10 thingies for you to look at. Uh, And, you know, you have a few minutes to get those figured out. Um, And I thought that those always worked fairly well that way. I don't know if one at a time, because my online game has to be one at a time in, in that fashion. So I don't know if giving a minute to figure out this one puzzle one at a time, they would either have to be too easy or you know, the, the communication between the teams, I can't count on them being able to talk as quickly as if they were at a table. So I don't know if I'd use those currently, but I have for sure used them in the past. And I do like the way that they make the teams kind of have aha moments when they finally crack what is happening in the picture. And they, oh, it's that one, you know. So what about uh, looking at like difficulty? If you wanted an easier round, uh, would you be willing to do like, the the more simple uh, rebus style puzzles in your one question one answer format you know maybe it's oh, yeah it's name the movie and you've just got like the word gun three times and you point to the top one or using uh emojis to to come up with with movie titles which i believe uh both jay and james have done or have some experience with um would you utilize yeah, those um yeah well, I, I've thought about using the emojis. We'll see if Jay has used them or not, but I was actually in a quiz that used them, and I thought that they were all pretty well done. Uh, there was one, though, and, and this comes to a point where how do you know what exactly they're going for? Do you just have to hope that what your answer is matches up to what the quiz master says? Is there really one right answer? There was one that had uh, uh, an emoji of a ship, and then a couple of skulls and uh, crossbones. And they ended up saying that the answer was Titanic, while our team thought that it was Pirates of the Caribbean because of, you know, pirate ship or something like that. So is there open to interpretation type uh, answers with that? Now, see, what we were talking about before, the rebuses, they're pretty much uh, very set in stone with the way they are worded. Um, But... Uh, with the emojis, could there be multiple answers? Is the problem that I think I would have if I were trying to do them. Yeah, How about you, sure. Jay? So, yeah, I have used these. I have used emojis in a round before, maybe only once or twice. But I kind of get what you're saying, where um, it's difficult for the answer to not be ambiguous here. So, when I have used them, they've been, I think, name the movie. But in both cases, it's been a very specific genre of movie. So, you know, if you say something like name the action movie, and then you give them a series of emojis, what you can also do to kind of limit the ambiguity is give like the year of release. So nobody can just see, uh, you know, 1982 and know exactly what movies came out in 92. I mean, maybe some can, but I can't. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then if I give you a string of emojis as well, then it removes any ambiguity. Even if my question kind of sucked <laughs> with my series of emojis, <laughs> it now becomes a valid question because the year is included. So I've, I've found a little success with that as well. That was definitely not the case at the show that I was at. And <laughs> those are the kinds of things that I like to add to those 
puzzly type things so that you can actually get a pinpoint. It may not be a huge clue, uh, but of course, if people know it, they know it. And if they don't, you know, they can at least get that guess. Oh, it was a you know late 80s movie. So at least you can argue, well, I'm sorry, but Pirates of the Caribbean did not come out in 1982. So that can't be the answer. Oh, exactly. It's all about covering my butt. That's <laughs> that's yeah. what it's all for. That's fair. And it, and I think any any good quiz master, when presented with an alternate answer to a question that they thought was locked down, like there's no chance that this could be anything else. If there was another movie that fit those emojis from that same year, I mean, you can't help but go, you're not wrong. I, that's not what I was looking for. But I, you know, I can't not give you points for that, you know, especially yeah. when we're talking trying to get teams to be more creative and reward uh, outside of the box thinking on stuff like that. I've, I had that happen. Um, I was maybe a couple weeks ago. Uh, I had asked, a, it was one of my, I call them Jeopardy. They're just Jeopardy questions that I write, not as well as the people from Jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, I think it was an answer about somebody who's, whose family passed away and they did something else and they answered Batman. And that wasn't what I was looking for. And I'm like, you know, you're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I gave I ended up giving people points for for something like that. And I think that as long as you're willing to be a little bit less rigid on what answers you take, it, rounds like that are fun. I don't know anybody who doesn't like them. I have done rounds where some of the answers I thought I had an exhaustive list and then some teams came up with some clever, you know, they weren't like asshole clever, but they were just clever answers and I actually love that when they can come up with something that maybe I didn't think of. And when I show that excitement and I say, you know what, that table right over there came up with X, Y, Z, and I didn't expect to see that. And I want to applaud them and give them the points for it. So uh, that that's just kind of a feel good thing all the way around. Yeah, I, I definitely think that uh, that's one of the biggest difficulties for us as trivia writers. And and uh, I'm getting dangerously close to being helpful to our, our listeners that actually want to improve as writers here. Uh, but I think that <laughs> it, 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 that's the, the most difficult part about writing these puzzle type questions is that we're both encouraging out of the box thinking and, and, and uh, creativity and also trying to kind of double guess ourselves make sure we're writing it for a specific answer without being too pointed and really i guess the the biggest uh advice i can give somebody who wants to do these is like both jeff and james said if you're going to do a puzzle round you're going to have to be flexible and and this is going to be uh one of those round styles where you just have to accept that you're probably going to give some points away for answers that you didn't uh, consider and that's that's okay uh, just be ready for it and be willing to do that i would also suggest that just like with the emoji example we gave if you can narrow it in any way give a movie year or if you have uh, a question about countries you know you could always narrow it down to say only asian countries or sports teams but no no we're going to say only baseball teams so if you're able to refine the answer set that the answers are possibly going to come from then you're going to have less of those surprises uh when the answers are turned in yeah all right well i i took away your transition earlier um <laughs> as things are want to do when i'm on the podcast 
Uh, we got a little bit off topic, but I'm going to try to bring us back to the text style uh, puzzle questions. What text-based puzzles do y'all utilize? What kind of experience have you had with them? What kind of feedback have you gotten from them? I, I was just going to say, I don't do too many text-based mechanics aside from uh, like we talked about a little bit before, like the, the puzzles where the words are formatted in a almost picture style, uh, you know, where away would be in the middle of manger or noon would be all the way at the top of the screen. So the answer is high noon or, you know, something like that. Um, I've done those before. I did one round and I 100% stole this idea from somebody in the co-op where all 10 answers in the round, if you line them up front to back, it was a palindrome of everything front to back. So the, like the, the only two that I remember what the answers were, the first one started with the word sleep. And the last question was the band, the eels. So like E E L S. And then, you know, so if you look at all 10 of them, you say, Oh, these are all, this is a palindrome. So when you wrote them on your page, top to bottom, you could see that they relate backwards to each other. Um, but other than that, uh, I tend to do very little mechanics in terms of text, unless it's playful in some like crossword fashion or, or Scrabble or something like that. You know, I, I uh, also saw that that round that you mentioned uh, somebody in the co-op that that wrote an entire palindrome round. Some of the questions I felt were a little too hard for some of my players. So I took the idea and rewrote it and made a new palindrome round, palindrome round in the same style. And holy shit, it was hard. It was not easy yeah. uh, to write. So props to whoever came up with it. I will probably never do that again. Yeah, I have also not ever done that again because yeah, I did the same thing. I didn't just I didn't just use the one that was posted. I'm like, I think I can I think I could do this too, and it was not fun, but everybody seemed to like it. <laughs> so, how about some of the lazier uh, text puzzle formats? Things like uh, anagrams, word jumbles. I've, I've yeah, the king of lazy questions, in my opinion. But I have definitely found myself, uh, as a trivia writer, um, backed into a corner where I've got nine of my 10 questions written, and I need one more, and it's the 11th hour. Word jumble. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I've done those. Um, I've also done, um, if you find kind of archaic or outdated names for certain symbols on your keyboard, uh, that can be a good text-based one as well. Uh, you know, like draw or type in Octothorpe. Um, just kind of a goofy name for the uh, the hash symbol or the number symbol, um, and you'd actually be surprised how many people don't know what a you know tilde or a carrot is or some of those kind of symbols you can you know, do I as actually, well. I really like that. And back uh, pre-COVID, when I was doing everything paper and pencil or paper and pen uh, or paper and crayon, paper and let me just list <laughs> all the combinations. Uh, I, that would often be my first question was. On the back of your sheet, draw a niblet. On the back of your sheet, draw an octothorpe. Draw, uh, etc. And I just come up with you know the more obscure words for uh, things that people actually know. Draw a dictic was a, a fun one. Uh, the little antelope. The little deer. Yeah. <laughs> little deer. Uh, and, and I would just I do things like that, and those those were actually really well received. People enjoyed them. Um, that's all. <laughs> I've, I've done a couple 
I don't know. I, you can't follow a dick, dick but um, <laughs> you know, I've, I've done a couple uh, puzzle sheets that are sometimes like between rounds or things. And one of them is called missing vowels where you take the answer, scrub out all the vowels, and then you respace the letters so that they don't look like the words they belong in. Uh, unfortunately, you give them a subject and you give them those uh, letters just like that. And if it's just turned out to be way easy for everybody. It was about a 95% across the board, I would say, for everybody. So it's something that I've seen on a, a quiz show, and it was probably better for a quick-fire buzz-in round. But you know what? I did it. Maybe they felt good about getting lots of answers right, and it's something that I probably won't do again. But it's you know better to try something and let it fail than just ever wonder if it was going to work. Um, there was another one that I did. Again, this one was lifted from pointless. Uh, every other letter missing. This actually turned out to be much more challenging, and I would suggest using it. Uh, if you have, like, a, a category, we'll just say, uh, let's do sports teams. And, you know, if you were to put T-blank, T-blank, N-blank, you might be able to figure out that that's Titans pretty easily, but you might be able to trip some people up with longer ones uh, or, or some that maybe are not, you know, as prevalently known, maybe some uh, international teams or something like that. But uh, it turned out to be pretty well received by everybody. They didn't get those 100%, but it was uh, a text puzzle that I think a lot of people appreciated in my rounds. I like that idea. And also, I, I think one of the problems with the missing vowel ones is that you could sound out words without vowels pretty easy just by just kind of inserting vowel sounds. There's only so many of them. But if you went the other direction and did, here's only the vowels, that one's a, that one be, would be a lot tougher. You might have to put them in the exact order with spaces and say, you know, as, lo as long as it's not vacuuming where people can go, oh, W, I know exactly what that is. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, but that might be fun to, to try. Yeah, the tougher ones are the ones where the words are mostly vowels or begin with one or maybe even two vowels. And that yeah. really will trip people up. I mean, I did a list of United States and two of the questions were H and <laughs> W <laughs> and, you know, so they, they were, you know, you, you could figure them out, but boy, when you're just like, you know, you face that question and you're like, Oh, where's, you know, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Like, I, like we've mentioned a couple times, there's so much stuff to, to cover on this topic. And, uh, for fear of missing out on so much more of it, I do think that we uh, should probably just talk about one last thing before we wrap up this discussion. And I mean, we're definitely going to do another puzzles uh, episode in the future. So y'all listeners, shoot us an email about the many things that we missed or what you want to know about them. Uh, but before we do wrap this up, I want to talk about when, who, and why. When are you doing puzzles, uh, puzzle rounds? Who are you doing them for? Why are you doing them? Um, is it is it a round that you utilize at more of a laid back, you know, dive bar trivia where people are having fun doing a lot of pop culture? Uh, are you throwing them in there when one team has just been really crushing things and you want to try and equalize it? Uh, when, who, and why are you running puzzles? Well, I've, I've already covered in my 
Twitch games like when abouts I do those. Um, but I'll offer you the opposite. I avoid puzzle ones when I do uh, my larger um, events for schools and fundraisers and things like that, just because um, especially if it is a competitive in, in, in a competitive nature, I should say, because a lot of the ones that I do are kind of for fun for everybody at the tables, but there shouldn't be any kind of wiggle room for those. So those I, I tend to aim for straight across the table questions for people to answer. So I avoid them there. I'll do them at my live game and Twitch game occasionally when I come up with them. So I don't really have a I don't aim to do anything with them. It's just if I get a good idea uh, and what was it? When, why, and who? That was, yeah. was that the three? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for for whom? <laughs> oh, for whom? Yeah. I, I, I think um, my regular crowd likes them when I when I toss them in and my Twitch, my Twitch crowd doesn't seem to hate them. So but yeah, I I know that I avoid them for my larger events that are catered to a larger group of people who don't normally play my game. Um, so there's the opposite answer for that. <laughs> no, I mean, actually, I think you, know, you did answer it. Yeah, but so I'll say that I've got an opposite answer to your opposite <laughs> answer. Uh, when it's the big fundraisers and things, I actually like to throw in the puzzle rounds. I'll give them uh, a printed sheet and say, here, uh, I want you to work for two rounds and then turn it in uh, at that at the end of the round. And that way, if there are people who are there uh, just for the beer or because their family dragged them there. Maybe it'll give them something uh, to do while I'm doing maybe a category that they have nothing that they can contribute on. So everybody at the table is busy doing something. So that's when I tend to do my puzzle rounds is when there are 10 rounds and I just don't want to do straight trivia for every single round. I like to mix it up and give them some different ways of doing things. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely feel that, although I, I don't usually do like 10 round ones. Um, but if I'm doing like a, a money prize event, I am more likely to throw in a puzzle round just to keep it more fun and not uh, so fiercely competitive. You know, I don't want the people to be side eyeing each other and angry with the other teams. I want them all to be having fun and having a good time, although I will stick to the types of puzzles that uh, have a more strict answer because I also don't want to have to give away a money prize because I made a judgment call on an outside the box uh, answer. Uh, Jay, how about you? What uh, take us home? Yeah, so I'd say there's there's kind of a time and place for them, and I I agree with pretty much everything that's been said here. Um, so yeah, if you have a really competitive environment, like I used to do pub trivia at a uh, uh, bar here, our campus bar, and uh, that's the kind of place you don't want to have an ambiguous answer because they'll they'll let you know about it. Um, so they weren't a huge fan of the puzzle questions so much because they felt that even like a common bond round would give an advantage to someone that maybe didn't know a lot about the subject. Um, but what I would do is I would do something very puzzle related over the half, so over the break. Um, and then that way it kind of let me cater to to both audiences, the super serious audience that just wanted straight kind of recall questions, and then the less serious audience who was more interested in uh, sitting down and figuring something out. 
All right. Well, those were some great points about puzzle questions, everybody. And I look forward to the blast of emails that we're going to get where everybody tells us what we forgot and what we should talk about next time. Or on what our we, next what continuation. We got wrong. Yeah, well, what we did dumbly. Um, but <laughs> let's get out of our roundtable and into this week's keyword challenge for those of us. Uh, that have never done this before. Jay, I'm looking at you. Uh, I'll give you a quick rundown <laughs> of how this works uh, for you and all the listeners. Uh, we have uh, user-submitted keywords uh, sent to us uh, at quadriviapod at gmail.com, if you are so inclined. Uh, and we randomly choose a keyword, and we spend 10 minutes writing the best question that we can that uses the keyword either in the question or as the answer for that question. Um, and we're going to take those 10 minutes off mic, so we'll be back in just 30 seconds uh, for the listeners, but we're, we'll take a little bit of time to try to write some questions. Uh, and let's see, today's keyword is, ooh, it's keywords, Kentucky Bourbon Trail, given to us by Steve Vetter from New Jersey. So all right. we all have 10 minutes to write a question that includes Kentucky Bourbon Trail and either the words of the question or the answer. Everybody all right? And, and in its entirety. Yeah. Kentucky Bourbon Trail all together. Right. This is sounding like a word jumble to me. <laughs> <laughs> Unjumble this member of the Kentucky <laughs> Bourbon Trail. Oh, my God. <laughs> all, right. all right. Well, fuck it. Let's so, do it. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see everybody back in 30 seconds. Hey, everyone. Jason here. While the host and I step away to think about our keyword challenge, we just wanted to remind you that you can check us out online at QuadriviaPod on Twitter. On Facebook, just search for Quadrivia Podcast, And you can always email us at QuadriviaPod at gmail.com. We're always happy to hear from you. And now, back to the show. And we are back. Uh, how, how do y'all feel about that? You... You feeling pretty pretty solid? You get some good questions written? Considering that I'm from Kentucky, I think I did a pretty good job. <laughs> All right. Well, it, I, I look forward to I, yours. I've got something if, better than a jumble, but not much. Let's put it that <laughs> way. All right. Well, we'll see how you did in a moment, because I, I want to start us off. Uh, I wrote a novel, which is not uncommon these days in my keyword challenge, but I wrote it intentionally uh uh whatever the fucking word is i'm looking for I, I wrote it so that i can cut off a couple sentences when i inevitably use this in a trivia event <laughs> without further ado my short story the kentucky bourbon trail is a program put together by the kentucky distillers association to promote the bourbon industry in kentucky you'll learn this basically verbatim if you search it on wiki what you won't learn about, though, is the controversy surrounding a distillery that has kept itself off the official trail. And that's this is where I would start uh, when I'm actually using this question. <laughs> now owned and produced in partnership with Buffalo Trace, there was a 20-year-old bottle of bourbon you could buy in October 2012 for $152. That price septupled in less than a year, and now you'd buy a single shot of it around the original bottle price. Named after the patriarch of this previously slept-on distillery, what bourbon is often credited with reviving the Kentucky bourbon industry? 
I just want to start off by saying um, what really resonates with me in this question is the mention of Buffalo Trace, and that's because one time I got very, very drunk on Buffalo Trace. So <laughs> as soon as as soon as I see those two words next to each other, I just kind of cringe a little bit. The question looks good, though. <laughs> uh, me personally, I'm not a big bourbon or whiskey guy, um, so this is all <laughs> quite literally French to me. I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, James. Yeah, um, I think this also has a connection to a heist that happened around 2018. And like I said, being from Kentucky, the Louisville area, which is uh, about 90 miles away from Lexington and some of the big uh, bourbon distillers and everything, I think I might know what the answer is if the connection is what I'm thinking of. Um, Would you like me to make my best guess or do you want to say what you all think first? I, I have zero input. I, I got I'm. Uh, I'm in the to, same boat here. Just to touch on what you said, uh, I do believe the heist was pre-2018, unless there have been multiple heists. Uh, but <laughs> I, I, actually, heists. I, I do bring that up because that is how I, I came up with this question, was discovering this heist. Um, it might have been that the uh, sentencing happened in 2018. I, I know, but it was definitely within the past, you know, five to eight years for sure yeah I, I as best i can tell on. as best i can tell it happened around 2015 uh 20 probably 2013 2014 it looks like uh is when 200 bottles of this expensive bourbon had disappeared does that sound right yeah it's sounding right All jay right. do you have a thought or do you want me to give it away Oh, give it away. I've got nothing. <laughs> All right. Especially with the patriarch part of the question that helps out is Pappy Van Winkle that we're talking about. That is correct. Pappy Van Winkle. I have never also, heard of it. <laughs> also a little, uh, uh, a little wink with the slept on distillery uh, referencing the, <laughs> the Rip Van Winkle uh, uh, yeah. story. Yep, Pappy Van Winkle is the answer. Well done. Yeah, apparently um, I had never heard of this either until all of this started happening, and then all of a sudden no one could buy a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle, and it was just a big you know, flip over in the bourbon industry. I really don't even know what the status of Pappy Van Winkle is at the moment. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, being... Where I live, uh, it was pretty prevalent in the news, though, so that's luckily why I was able to suss out the answer pretty easily for myself. Um, it does look like currently that, that same, the 20-year-aged Pappy Van Winkle is still currently going about 150 bucks a pour. So, this, this uh, is why I God. don't drink hard liquor. Yeah. It's crazy. All right. Well, who who do we have next? Who's who's got uh, another one for us? I am I am up next, and I think because of the way that your question started, and because of the way that my question starts, I think we may have <laughs> all maybe done the same thing, but we'll see. Let's let's uh -oh. find out if we all started off with the Kentucky Bourbon Trail, then asked about a different bourbon. <laughs> Here's my <laughs> here is my question: If you were touring the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. You might visit the Burks Distillery near Loretto, Kentucky, the oldest bourbon distillery in the world. The distillery first opened its doors in 1805, but was purchased in 1953 by Bill Samuels and has since been used to make what brand of bourbon best known for its distinctive signature bottle? 
While it's not the most recognizable aspect of the brand, each bottle is stamped with a star and the letters S-I-V. I'm really learning how much I don't know about bourbon here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have an idea here. None of what you said, other than the well-known distinctive bottle, uh, is really giving me anything. But... Well, I, what's so distinctive about the bottle, do you think? Oh, you know what? That's a great question because then I can answer without giving it away. Uh, I, I would talk about not only the shape of it, but uh, maybe the way that the bottle is sealed. Yeah, I think that you're on the right track there. Okay, so I think we're in the same spot. You got to answer the last one, and Jay, you said you're kind of you're you're still out in the weeds here. I'm I'm out in the weeds, and uh, yeah, my my question doesn't have a lot to do with bourbon because I don't know that's, a lot about bourbon. That's fair. Well, then I'm gonna I'm gonna try dropping this one. Uh, fingers crossed. I'm going with Maker's Mark. That is the correct answer. All right. Uh, well known for its distinctive and actually trademarked, which was in my original wording, but I took it out because that's half the answer. Uh, the trademarked red wax dipped stem is what I know about that. And that's the end of what I know about it because I don't drink bourbon or whiskey. But that seemed to me like something that even if you didn't drink bourbon or whiskey, you might have seen that in stores. It's a really distinctive way of presenting the bottle. And the stamp on the bottle itself of the, the star and the letters S-I-V, the S stands for Samuels, the uh, originator of the bourbon. And the I-V is actually uh, Roman numerals for four because he's the fourth generation Samuels. Even though he found out later he was the sixth generation Samuels, and huh. that's not important at all. But that's what the <laughs> S-I-V stands for. I will say I like that. And obviously it got me to the right answer, uh, but I I didn't know the vast majority of it uh, and only got there by guessing a distinctive bottle. Um, I'd may, if, if I was tweaking this in any way, it would probably just somehow touch on the wax. Yeah. Um, just because the, the only, the only other option I kind of had in my head was, was bullet because bullet mm -hmm. also has a very distinct bottle. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I say, anyone who's familiar with the the bourbon is going to get there a lot easier too, or who yeah. remembers the SIV. Like it's it's definitely no one's going to uh, argue it once they got the answer. Um, yeah, but yeah, I I think my approach to this was because I'm not because I'm not a whiskey and bourbon guy. I had to approach this from the idea that um, I couldn't ask this question to a group of people if I didn't think that there was an in that had nothing to do with actually drinking or understanding the bourbon or whiskey. For sure. Uh, and so I wanted to add a backdoor and the distinctive bottle, like with the, the red wax on top, which I learned they also did like a mint flavored one with green wax, which I thought was interesting. Really? I've never seen that. Huh. Yeah. Apparently they did it for, for mint juleps. Uh, nice. But hey, you know, but I, I wanted to... It's one of those Pavlovs that we've talked about before, where it's like, if you think of a distinctive bourbon bottle, there's only a couple on the list that you could think of. Maybe one or two of them. Well, actually, most of them would probably be in Kentucky. But uh, I thought that that would at least get people in the ballpark if they had no other ideas about bourbon. They might think of what's the one with the wax on top. You know, I, yeah. I thought that that might be a decent end for people that weren't big bourbon drinkers. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like I said, that's that's how I got there. And I mean, I, I enjoy, I actually have a member of the Kentucky Bourbon Trail on my desk right now. 
Uh, Evan, uh, Evan I Williams. I don't want to name. Oh, I was going to say, I don't want to name anything just in case it comes up later. Nah, we'll find out. <laughs> no, it was a solid question. Uh, Jay, what do you got? All right. So uh, I've proven that I know very little about bourbon. So that kind of uh, comes across in my question writing too. I went uh, a little bit of a different angle here. So my question here, if you found yourself stumbling drunk after the Jim Beam portion of the Kentucky Bourbon Trail distillery tour outside Louisville, you might want to stumble east and not west to avoid questions from the guards at what U.S. Army installation? Nice. Ooh, I like where you took this. Hmm. Well, let's see. Being from Louisville, (laughs) and you want to stumble east to avoid, well, hmm. Because I can think of a U.S. Army installation to the east of Louisville, actually. So I want to make sure that we're not thinking about the same thing. Although I think I might know what you're talking about as well. See, I I can Hmm. only think of, like, I only know one place in Kentucky, but I have literally no idea where it sits within the state. Um, But I would say it's kind of like the gold standard of Army bases, maybe. I don't know if I should give hints or just let you guys keep talking it out. Well, that oh, was, I see what you that did was, there. Yeah, I that see. was me nudging. Uh, it was me nudging James, but <laughs> yeah, no, no. But the the gold standard, absolutely. <laughs> is that? <laughs> does that match the clue? Like, is that uh, well to the west of Louisville? Uh, it's it's actually kind of south. Now, keep in mind in I'm the question. Mis- uh, it does say. Stumbling drunk after the Jim Beam portion of the tour. Mm. Well, no, you might have a point there. Um, I, let me first make sure that we're talking about the right answer here, uh, since we're because uh, if we're not thinking of the same place, then <laughs> it kind of is a wash anyway. So, um, if you don't mind, guys, I'll take the guess. Yeah. I believe what you're thinking of is Fort Knox. That's correct. That's what I yes. was thinking of. But he did so. He did say though that the Jim Beam portion is outside. Where where is the Jim Beam Distillery? So the Jim Beam Distillery is directly east of the Fort Knox installation. So you're definitely going to want to head east after you're done with Jim Beam and not west. <laughs> you know, I think I know exactly what you're talking about now. Um, so yeah, that's definitely outside of Louisville. Uh, and so that's probably why it was outside of my mental vision on a map. So, yeah, I'm going to yeah give you that's actually, yeah, that's absolutely right. <laughs> I have no idea what's happening. Google right Maps now. agrees. I feel, no, no, it's just that, you know, oh, look at me. I'm from Kentucky. I know bourbon. I know. And now I'm just absolutely embarrassing myself. Uh, but you are absolutely right that if you were to try to go west from the uh, Jim Beam Stillhouse, you'd end up in Fort Knox and uh, yeah, you don't want to go there. (laughs) Uh, So like I said, I kind of did a little bit of a cop out in my opinion, looking at the uh, bourbon trail map here. And as soon as I saw Fort Knox in the center of it, I said, Oh man, we can do something about James Bond. We can do something about geography. (laughs) I don't have to think about bourbon at all. (laughs) So that's where my head went. I I appreciate that that greatly. Yeah. I think that was really well done. It's like, I, I don't know a whole lot about, geography is always kind of a weak point for me and i don't know a lot about many army bases but i did know fort knox was in kentucky so it at least gave me somewhere to guess so yeah 
I mean, there's going to be some other ones around and see, again, it's all slipping my mind. So, uh, but Fort Knox is definitely the one that's close by Louisville. That's probably going to be the most popular one that anybody should be able to think of. So that's going to make it a, a pretty tight question, actually something that's gettable for nice. sure. All right. Well, James, what do you got for us? Well, uh, you probably know that if I could ask a question about video games, I would. Since I can't, I'm going to go with <laughs> television. So here we are. The Maker's Mark Distillery is located in Loretto, Kentucky, and it is one of the 18 stops on the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. What reality TV competition visited the Maker's Mark Distillery in their 16th season in an episode titled Bourbon, Barrels, and Burgoo. I got all excited for a second <laughs> that I might know the answer. Because <laughs> I also talked about Maker's Mark in Loretto, Kentucky. But I do not know. I do know um, that Burgoo is like a stew. So that's food. <laughs> yes, it is. But <laughs> I, so it's probably a food-based food-based reality competition uh master chef top chef the only one i really watch is that one on netflix where people make really shitty desserts like Ooh, like nailed it. On. nailed it yeah i fucking <laughs> love that show definitely not the answer yeah. but no because um, there there's there's chopped there's but they they don't leave okay is yeah, master chef the one where they're like uh, no that's the iron chef What's the difference yeah, between Master Chef, chef and Top Chef? I'm having trouble with thinking one that's, you know, a competition um, that doesn't just take place in a kitchen every single time, you know? Yeah, I, I know for a fact. I've I've watched multiple seasons of Master Chef, and I know that they, they do go on site to do stuff. So that, is... at least I know, is a plausible answer. I haven't watched Top Chef, so I don't know if they do the same thing, but if I... All the pictures are about the same from MasterChef, so it's a plausible answer, at least. Are, are chopped, those like they all stay in one place? Is one of those an offshoot of the other? Like, what's the difference between MasterChef and Top Chef? I think just I think just different. Is Ooh, it just what about competing? Um, what about like Hell's Kitchen or uh, any of the other Ramsey shows, where he does um, Kitchen Nightmares? Uh, no, I, I, I think I think I'm gonna. Maybe. I think I'm going to put a pin in us here. Yeah. Because I'm just naming shows now. Yeah. I feel like we don't really know. All, we, we could just like guess a random reality TV competition, but uh, I'm, I'm blank. I'm going to guess chef the movie. <laughs> are there, are there any <laughs> clues in there that we're missing James? Is there something that we're missing that, that would lead us to the right one? You know, I was thinking, as you all are discussing, if I were to add a little something else to it, I would say that 12 of the episodes of this season were in locations around Kentucky. Hmm. Yep, still no good for me. I'm, I'm bowing out on this one. Oh, no, wait, 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 hold on. I, I think I have an in. If I remember correctly, the very most recent season of MasterChef was the 10th season, so it can't be MasterChef. I don't think it could be. It's not Cutthroat Kitchen. It's not Chopped. I don't think it's it. It very well could be one of Ramsey's other shows where he goes to 
different places. But if 12 of the, the episodes from that season, uh, it, it almost it makes me want to say Top Chef just because they made a big hullabaloo this last season of MasterChef about it being the 10th season. Well, then let's so go that, with it. Yeah, that's that's my guess. Top Chef it is. You know, it is Top Chef. <laughs> Very well <laughs> sussed out. Boy, last minute. You know, I, I, I was thinking about putting in uh, that extra little clue, but uh, it, you know, it, it's something that I didn't think to, to throw in there, but it seems that that was what n- was needed here to really help push you over the top. But yeah, Nicely uh, done, Jeff. They... That, full credit to Jeff on that one. <laughs> well, I watch a lot of, I watch a lot of cooking shows and the, the only thing that I knew about Top Chef is that when Graham Elliott left Master Chef, that's the show that he went to go be on. That's that's the only thing I knew about it. Besides, it's similar to MasterChef and apparently has a, a bunch more seasons. But other than that, you know, that was a total that was a total guess. Well, it turned out to be very good guessing. Uh, so nice job. Uh, that turned out to be very well done. So good, uh, good sussing, good pulls. Yeah, well done, uh, listeners. Make sure you head over to quadriviapodcast.com and vote for your favorite. Let us know what you think. And with that done, uh, it is time for us to throw it back to Jay. Jay, I have been told that you've got our trivia round tonight. I do. So this one, um, I realize at the time of release, I think this is going to be, listeners are going to be hearing this at some point in January. But for me here, uh, it's it's the week of Christmas. So I've got a Christmas round for you guys. Um oh, so I, uh, I ran this one on Twitch the other night, and uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. It's a before and after round, so it's got a little bit of that puzzly atmosphere that we've been talking about, and it kind of gives different points of entry on a lot of the questions, which I think is what really makes for a good puzzle question. So let's get into it. I'm going to give you guys the uh, instructions here. So it's called The Night Before and After Christmas. A Christmas carol has slid down the chimney and crashed directly into all of these questions and answers. You need to do your best to decipher each question uh, into a before and after answer. And then I have an example for you here. The example must be Santa Monica Boulevard. So the idea is that at least one half of the question is going to be the title of a Christmas carol and the other half is not. All Um, right. I am going to jump in really quick for the benefit of the listeners uh and say i i was present as you were working on this round so some of them i have seen and i'll just i'll stay silent on those uh uh, including the example i believe that i came up with that example (laughs) so yeah um so yeah and that was uh like i was saying before the co-op excellent place to work on some of these questions um all right let's just get into it with number one here this massively multiplayer game has had eight major expansions since its release in 2004, including The Burning Crusade, Heaven and Nature, and The Sounding Joy. (laughs) Okay. Uh, (laughs) Now, this is also funny, especially considering what I just uh, said. I was not present for this one. I don't know if this one got posted in the (laughs) Discord. However, (laughs) I took your idea and made my own round uh, based on these that I used last week. And I guarantee I know this answer because even though I had a different question, I had the exact same answer. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I think I, I think I have this one. One of the 
one of the expansions I I, is really yeah, turning I think me I do too. into the the answer here. Uh, James, you want to do the first half, and then you do the second half. All right. I believe that the first half is Joy to the World. And the other half is of Warcraft, World of Warcraft. Nice. Bingo. <laughs> well done. All right. I've got, some, I've got some easy ones and some trickier ones, but I'm, I'm starting you off with some softballs. I, li- um, I liked adding the lyrics as an expansion. That was funny. <laughs> Those were, that's, that was a sweet one. I like that. All right. Number two for you guys. This condition that causes a temporary weakness or paralysis of the muscles in the face is, strangely enough, often caused by rides and sleighs, usually those pulled by a single horse. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. <laughs> Christmas got dark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's, that's, that's okay. so good. <laughs> Shout, shout it out! I don't, I don't want to give anything away here, but I think you guys might have an idea what it is. Yeah, the uh, the idea of losing losing muscle or getting muscle paralysis from riding on a sleigh. Um, <laughs> Jingle bells palsy is <laughs> the one that sounds right to me. I'm pretty sure that that's it. Agreed. Yeah, I'm yeah, glad you said it. That's that's God. a bingo. I. You know, I was a little hesitant with that one, and when I did it in my trivia stream, you know, they, they assured me this is a temporary condition. It's it's a symptom, not a disorder. So it, it seemed like it was it was okay as long as we don't laugh too much. Oh well, I ruined that part. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on to number three. This 2004 film stars an ensemble cast consisting of Catherine Zeta-Jones, Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts, and 140 other extras, and at least 184 birds. Yeah, the 184 birds is the big clue for me. I'm feeling good about both parts, yeah. Yeah. All right. So that would be Ocean's 12. Days of Christmas. Hey, that worked out well. (laughs) Yeah, so I actually was doing a little bit of uh, calculating there to make sure that I got the numbers right. Um, Maybe could have left off the 184 birds. Would have made it a little trickier. But uh, yeah, that was a fun one. Yeah, I think the, the birds is a good addition. I do. All right, number four. Uh, this was a fun one to put together. Uh, the sequel to this classic 1987 ABC sitcom saw several notable changes, including the absence of the ever-joyful and triumphant Michelle and the move of the entire cast from San Francisco to Bethlehem. Uh, oh I think God. I know this one. I like that. Oh, my God. These are so good. Do you Do you have it, Jeff? I'm... I'm pretty sure I do. I'm, I've been writing them on paper so that I can see what they look like together. And this is, I like this one quite a lot. I, I, I'll let you two do the uh, before and after then. Sure, I'll, I'll do the first part. Sound good, Jeff? Okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, come on, ye faithful. Lure house. <laughs> nice. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> two, po- oh. two possible answers for this one. I did give full points to Oh, come all ye faithful house. And Faithfuller House, I thought were both acceptable here. Actually, yeah, I, I didn't re- want to get rereading it. I, it does say this classic sitcom, uh, so a sequel kind of pins it. But I would, like I said earlier, you know, a little wiggle room is not going to hurt anybody. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it just it's depends the... on nailing down the ask. It's the holiday season. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number five here. Um, this is the point in writing the round where I needed one more and uh, kind of put something together. So I haven't seen this film, 
but I'm told the question makes sense based on my, my paraphrasing from Wikipedia. So in this Tom Clancy novel and film, Jack Ryan, played by Harrison Ford, discovers he's being kept in the dark by colleagues who are conducting a covert war against a golden harp cartel in Colombia. The movie ends at the stroke of midnight with Ryan beginning his testimony to Congress. Well, I know the Jack hmm. Ryan portion. Anyone, hmm. anyone feel good on the uh, Christmas Carol? Give us the, was, the Jack Ryan portion then. Maybe it, that'll it's help. not Patriot Games, is it? I was I don't think I was thinking clear and present danger. Oh, okay. That makes more sense because I was trying to okay. get like Patriot Reindeer games or something. I don't know. So I would think that it the Christmas Carol probably ends with clear as opposed to yeah. starting yeah. with danger. But who knows? <laughs> danger. Santa Claus is here. <laughs> uh, um Oh, um, uh, it came upon a midnight clear in present danger. Oh, bingo. Yeah. Yay. I, I would have struggled forever trying to get Patriot or games stuck into a, <laughs> stuck into a Carol. <laughs> oh my God. So, so like I was saying, I think they're good puzzles. Uh, just cause yeah. yeah, you have those two points of entry, you know? Yeah. All right. Let's move on to number six. This game show composed by John Henry Hopkins Jr. in 1857, pits three wise contestants against primary school children. Mm -hmm. Well, I got the game show part. That's usually my expertise. I I know this one. I was... I'm out of this one. The primary school children makes me think, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'll go ahead and start it, and then you can finish it with what you just said. We three kings of Orient are... Oh, you smarter than a fifth grader. Okay. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> I so can... I guess the uh, We Three Kings of Orient R is kind of technically an alternate title. I think a lot of people know it as just We Three Kings. Um, but if you do a little Wikipedia sleuthing like I did when I was putting this round together, <laughs> uh, totally valid question. So number seven, this English vocalist of Culture Club might actually be be best known for his impressive, albeit repetitive, drum performances. Oh, I got it. (laughs) That is a tasty, tasty question. I really like that one. (laughs) I like like these. These are great. So that's, uh, oh, I'm going in the wrong order. I was going to say the name of the singer. Uh, Little Drummer Boy. George. Bingo. George. All right. I like that a lot. We've got uh, three more. Let's rip through these guys. So number eight, name the song. I take a deep breath and I get real high and out jumps good old Santa Claus. I scream from the top of my lungs, ho, 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 who wouldn't go? Okay, I'm definitely getting both parts of this and I just have to... uh, I I got got it. Go ahead. This is one of... I was going to say, this is one of those trivia questions where you have to know the name of the song, which doesn't really appear anywhere in the lyrics. Yeah, this is one of those very commonly mistitled, misanswered songs. Mm -hmm. All because Marvin Gaye. (laughs) Go ahead. So that's uh, What's Up on the Rooftop. Bingo. Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> it always I makes you think like of the He-Man version. Definitely, definitely <laughs> oh the better. God, of the two that's the best does. one. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think the next one is might be my favorite. 
Uh, a young mother and her child find themselves trapped in a small house surrounded by flesh-eating ghouls in this 1968 horror film. <laughs> I think I've got it. Um, I'm just going to say, is that Silent Night of the Living Dead? Yes. <laughs> All right. There wasn't a whole lot about... to go on for the Silent Night part, but it just fit too well. <laughs> I was trying to work I... with Away in a Main Jeremlins or something. Jeremlins? <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, the flesh eating Jeremlins. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about working the word virgin in there somehow, like the virgin mother and child. Um, and maybe something with horror movies are always about the, you know, the young teen virgins out up to no good. Um, but this is what we ended up with. And I, I, it's concise. Yeah, I like it. it. I like it. I'd go see that movie. All right. Number 10 here. Final one of the round in this classic Dickens novella and its many adaptations our meek and bold main character is visited by dings, dongs, and ding dongs while learning the real meaning of bringing good cheer. I like this one. Cause this is actually one of my favorite Christmas carols too. And I just gave away half of the answer. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's nice you were able to put, uh, you know, something Christmas on both ends of the question. Yeah. So, yeah, I like. That. I got. I'm hungry, so when I heard ding dongs, I was thinking of a little baby. <laughs> <laughs> Good. What, so, uh, James, yeah, shout yeah, out. Yeah, so I, th I think this is a Christmas Carol of the Bells. That's it. So like, like you said, that. on number 10 here, tried to cap off the round with something that was kind of Christmassy on both ends. Oh, but beautiful. Yeah, that was like so that concludes like the, that. Uh, the, the night before and after Christmas, a couple of weeks after Christmas for the listeners out there. Yeah. They can just yeah. wait and listen. Well, no, that won't help. They can wait and listen to it next year. <laughs> <laughs> that, was a, that was a good round. That was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, with I liked the, that a lot. All right. Well, I mean, with that, I think we're we're pretty much done here. So, uh, Jeff, tell people where to find you. Yeah. Uh, my name, of course, is Jeff. This is stupid. You know that. <laughs> um, you can find me at all of the uh, social media places. Just search RMT Trivia. That stands for Riddle Me This. Uh, I stream on Twitch on Wednesday evenings uh, right at the beginning uh, of a four-person, or not right at the beginning, I guess Nick goes first, but uh, Capital Trivia, myself, uh, Jason's Game of Mega Sheep, and now Jim Norton with the Trivia Late Late Show all stream on Wednesday, this big six-hour block of awesome. So stop by and say hi. I'm James Key, the Trivia Nerd, <laughs> and you can find me via email right now, thetrivianerd at gmail.com. I'll be getting up all of my social medias sometime in the near future. So hopefully you'll be able to find me at the Trivia Nerd on all of your favorite social media platforms. All right, and I'm Jay Watson again, uh, host of Smarty Pints Trivia. I do Twitch on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Thursday's a uh, pub trivia thing. And then on Tuesday, we do a watch party thing where we watch a movie and ask trivia questions uh, and annoy the hell out of you with a bunch of commentary during the movie. <laughs> uh, but that's on Tuesdays. You can find out more about me and what I do at smartypints.ca. It's probably your best bet. And then from there, you can branch out to the, the socials and whatnot. And I'm Corey. Uh, Corey with Third Degree Entertainment. You can find me on most social media. Just look for Third Degree Entertainment. Or come see me Monday nights on Twitch at 7.30 p.m. Pacific. Uh, Twitch.tv slash Third Degree Entertainment. 
And you can find and reach all of us on Quadrivia uh, by emailing quadriviapod at gmail.com or hitting us up on Twitter and Facebook at quadriviapod. And you can head, of course, to quadriviapodcast.com to uh, vote on keyword challenges, to uh, see the questions that we asked in the episode, or uh, just to go there and give us some page views. <laughs> you have one of those uh, old AOL page counters at the bottom there? No, but I could definitely add one. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's very little else on there, so... <laughs> I'll, I'll just sit at night one night and just keep hitting the reload button and watch that number go up and make you happy. <laughs> oh, it would, it would make me so happy. It would fill my heart. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye, everybody. Merry Christmas, Mr. Potter. Where do we go? I've, I've, yeah, the king of lazy questions, in my opinion, <laughs> is, uh, and I'm looking at it on my screen right now, solve the word jumble. And then I have, uh, let's, maybe let's see if you guys can solve this. A-E-S-K-L-P-R. A-E-S-K-L-P-R. Oh, P-Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> see, now this is the kind of question, difficult to solve, easy to write. <laughs> right. Go. Which is what I what I think of as a lazy question. I'm going to give it away. It's Sparkle. Oh, okay. So the question, the answer is Sparkle.